welcome. You're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Life Online, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. chapter 28 and verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then the prophet answers his own question. Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as you study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend about this study, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. We are up to Revelation chapter 4, and I, God willing, will ch- cover chapter 5 as well. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into the study of God's word, line upon line. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before our study because we want to praise you, and we want to acknowledge you, and we want to ask you, Father, that you would bless our study, that you would increase our understanding, and with it, Lord, that you would increase our faith, that you would help us to understand the things that are happening in the world around us, and that all things would work together for our good as we hunger and thirst for your righteousness. We praise you, Lord. We ask this blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen. So here we are in uh, Revelation chapter 4. And just before we go into chapter 4, I just want to remind you of a couple of passages in uh, that we've covered so far, particularly in chapter 1. How the book opens. Revelation 1 and verse 1. It is the revelation of the apocalypsis. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. So he's making things known. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. So this comes from the Father. Which God gave unto him. Why? To show unto his servants, that's us, things which must shortly come to pass. So these things, from God's perspective, they're, they're happening immediately. And then also we, what we covered was that we must, it, it's, it's like a train, a train with an engine and many, many cars of freight and then a caboose at the end. And so when it says these things which must shortly come to pass, it's not necessarily referring to the caboose. It's referring to the train. And, and you know, this revelation was given to John some 2,000 years ago. And within a matter of a hundred, a few hundred years of receiving this revelation, things started happening right away for these brethren and these congregations that he was speaking to. So it's things which, it's, it's the whole train of prophecy that is contained in this, in this revelation that begins very shortly after John receives the revelation. Things which must shortly come to pass. And then this is what I wanted to focus on before we get into chapter 4. He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So the contents of the book of Revelation are signified. To to make things signifiers is to make them symbols. They they represent something else. They signify something. They point to something. It's like a sign that tells you a bumpy road ahead 
Well, the sign with the bumps in it, that's not the road. That's just a signifier of what's ahead. So that the sign is a symbol, and when you're driving and you see that symbol, you know, oh, you better slow down, and you better get ready because the road is going to be bumpy. So, so what John is going to share with us, these are not the things. They're not necessarily to be taken literally. They are signifiers. They are symbols. So I just wanted to underline, make sure we reinforce that we're dealing with a book that's made up primarily of symbols. And then in verse 10, 1 verse 10, John begins explaining to us what happened. And he says here, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. This is, you know, many people read this and think he, he was in the spirit on Sunday. There's no such thing. He was in, in the spirit on the day of the Lord. So when you read all of the Old Testament prophets, and they are talking about the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is coming. Well, John is saying, I was transported by vision into this day of the Lord. So I got to see now what the prophets have been pointing to. And I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. And what did the voice say? It said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And, so first he identified himself, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a scroll and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. So what John sees, he's to record it. And then he's to send it to all these seven churches. And then he identifies the churches. Now, the book then begins, or the scroll begins, with a personal note, a personal letter, a personal epistle to each of these congregations, to the angel, the messenger of each of these churches. So uh, the angel will transport this message to each of the churches. And each of the seven churches are then evaluated by Jesus Christ himself. They are commended, they are, their works are recognized and acknowledged, and they're commended for the things that they do well, and they are criticized for the things that they are not doing so well, and where they need to improve, or else. That this is not superficial, you know, Christ is just trying to fill in the blanks and just needs to say something. This is serious, and in fact, in two of the cases, being Smyrna and Philadelphia, there is no criticism. He, he commends them, he encourages them, he, he motivates them, but he does not criticize them. And in two of the cases, that is uh, Sardis and Laodicea, he has nothing good to say. So he's not just filling in the blanks. These are very personal, heartfelt appeals to each of the congregations. And what we also noted was that Christ evaluates us congregationally, that he, he, his evaluation is of the whole congregation. So we should belong somewhere. We should be in a community, and we should be contributing to that community, and we should be looking at that community with the Lord's eyes and seeing where the community needs help, where the community needs to improve, and we need to ensure that we are not part of the problem, that we are part of the solution. And to every community, he says, and, and I did say, you know, he, he, the, these evaluations are congregationally, but in the end, we are evaluated individually. And he does say, you know, you have some there that have not sold their garments and they shall stand with me. So even if we are in a, a community that is failing, it doesn't mean we have to fail. We can still fight for the truth and fight for what's right. And God will, in, in the end, reward us individually. But he does look at, the, he wants Christians to belong to a community. That this work that we're doing is not something we do by ourselves. It's something we do as part of a community. And ultimately, when we are in the kingdom of God, we will not function by ourselves. We'll be part of a greater community. And to each community, he says, and I'll just quote the last one to um, Laodicea in Revelation 3.21, but, but this is to all of the letters, this is in all the letters, a promise to the overcomer. In this case, he writes, to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? even as I also overcame and I sat down with my father in his throne. And just as the way he introduces himself in each of the letters, taking attributes of himself to introduce himself, but not all the attributes, just some of them, that it's only when you put all the letters together and put all the attributes together that you see the vision that John saw of who this is that's speaking. In the same way, the, over, the, the promises to the overcomers are not unique to that church only. It's true that that 
that congregation will receive this. But you put all of these promises together to the overcomers, everybody receives them. So it's not unique to Laodicea that they will sit with Christ in his throne, even as he overcame and is sitting in his father's throne. All the, all the churches are going to have this. So, and that's why he ends, and this is really important, in every letter we see this, this, this uh, phrase here in verse 22 in this case. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches, plural. Don't ignore any of these letters. Read all seven letters and listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Because it's only when we put all of this together that we really get an understanding of who Christ is, what his expectations are, what pleases him, what frustrates and angers him, what he will punish, and what he will reward, and how he will reward. We need to put all of this together. So that is Revelation 1, the introduction to the, the Apocalypsis, and then chapters 2 and 3 are the actual, he's told in Revelation 1 to write to the churches, and in Revelation 2 and 3, we actually read then the letters to the churches. Now we come to Revelation chapter 4. After this, so after he's told to write to the churches and what to write to the churches. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up here and I will show you the, I will show you things which must be hereafter. So remember, John was told to write the things which are and the things which were and the things which shall be. So he's to write about the past, the present and the future. And so Revelation does not only contain futuristic events. It also contains history. And for John, it contained things that were present, what was happening then and there. Uh, for example, the state of the seven churches. That's an example of him writing the things which are. Now, for us, we look that those things are not historical. And then he's also to write the things which shall be hereafter. And so now, when this door opens, he's, he's, this angel tells him to come, and it will show him things which must be in the future. And immediately, I was in the Spirit. So everything changes for John now, and he's in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So God sits on a throne. And man is made in the image and likeness of God. So when we look at a human being, that we have a sense of what God looks like. And, and we have to be careful about being influenced by Greek philosophy to think that God is this essence, this, this formless essence. God is not a formless essence. God has a form. And we know he has a form because when he created man from the dust of the earth, he fashioned the man after his own likeness, after his own form. And so here we see this being, or John sees this being, sitting on a throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. So John is doing his best to describe what he sees, but this is a glorious being. Yes, he has the form, or humans have the form of God, but we don't have this glory. And there was a rainbow round about the throne. And it's so sad now what the homosexuals have done with the rainbow. And the pride parades, and they've taken the, the rainbow to be their symbol. They need to be very careful. The rainbow is a symbol of the covenant that God has with man, that he will never destroy the earth with water and flood again. But it's also this symbol of what is around the throne of God. He says, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Or you could say four and twenty thrones. And upon the thrones I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So we don't know who these four, 24 elders are. My best guess 
is, again, he's being transported by vision into the day of the Lord. And my best guess is that they represent their symbols and that they represent the 12 patriarchs of Israel as well as the 12 apostles. And so we get the 12 and 12, Old Testament, New Testament, to make up the 24 elders. Just my guess. But it is, it's a symbol. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So we were introduced to these seven spirits of God back in chapter 1, verse 4, when John was addressing the seven churches. He said, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And now again, we now see the, or now John sees the throne and sees the seven spirits which are before his throne. And no doubt these are seven angels that report back to God as to what is going on in the earth. And we'll see that that will come out a bit clearer later. Verse 6, Revelation 4. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And again, this is symbolism. And so the eyes just represent, uh, and being full of eyes before and behind, represents a full vision, a full understanding of, of what is going on. And what's really interesting here is Revelation, the Apocalypsis, it begins with this epistle or these epistles to the seven churches, which basically says, get ready, clean up your act, get your act together, and be without fault. Be righteous before your God, because he's coming, and he's coming to punish wickedness. So before he comes, make sure that your, the churches are in order, and we are able to carry out his will, partner with him, carry out his will, rather than be punished by him. We want, we want his wrath to pass over us. Then, you know, God willing, next week, we'll get into the opening of the seals and the revealing. But before we get into the opening of the seals, after he uh, encourages and admonishes the churches, we get this vision, or he gives John this vision of heaven and the glory of God in heaven and the order that is in heaven. And this is further encouragement. So first we get the encouragement that's in the epistles, the, the letters of Christ himself. But now we're being encouraged by this vision. And this vision is showing us that everything is in order. That God is in heaven. God is on his throne. That everything in heaven is in order. And it's the earth that is in chaos. But that's okay. Because it's a God of order, he will come, or he is coming, to sort out the chaos. And so we can, we can be encouraged that no matter how chaotic the earth appears, that it's only by God's will, and that God is actually in full control. And no matter how crazy Satan gets, God is in full control. And so we see here in verse 6 that before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast, now he's describing these four beasts, that are in front of the throne. The first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. So we see here four, four beasts, a lion, a calf, a man, and a flying eagle. And these are, this is the vision that John has of these angelic beings that are in front of the throne of God. This concurs with the vision that Ezekiel had. And remember, these are, these are, this is symbolism, it's signifiers. And Ezekiel had a very similar vision. If we go to Ezekiel, how the book of Ezekiel opens in chapter 1 and verse 3, 
the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, by the river Kabar. And the hand of the Lord there, well, the hand of the Lord was there upon him. Ezekiel writes, verse 4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself. So, so um, Ezekiel is seeing this, this whirlwind and a cloud, and then he sees this fire, it's burning, it's roaring, and it's folding in on itself. And a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof, as the color of amber, out of the midst of the fire, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures. So John saw four living creatures before the throne, and now Ezekiel is seeing four living creatures before the throne. So we see this consistency between everything that John is seeing in Revelation and what the prophets of old saw. You know, this is not like uh, the Quran, where if you, you know, this is supposed to be the last uh, revelation from God. But if you open the Quran, it really has nothing to do with the Bible. And this is why uh, in, in countries where the Quran or Sharia law is uh, the law, the Bible is illegal. You can't open a Bible in Saudi Arabia and read it. It's, it's against the law. You'll be prosecuted for that. Because the Quran does not have any resemblance to the Bible. It, there's a, you know, it, it talks about the same, some of the same prophets in terms of the oral traditions of the time. But if you actually sit down and read what these prophets wrote, there's nothing in the Quran that agrees with these prophets. When we read the book of Revelation, which is the final revelation from God, all of the prophets agree with what is in the book of Revelation. Every, the, the book of Revelation is like, it, it's the buckle on the belt. It pulls everything together. And there's nothing in Revelation which is brand new and just completely out of left field. Everything in Revelation, we can go back to the former prophets and see where it's coming from. That there's this consistency from Genesis to Revelation. So John sees four beasts before the throne. Ezekiel saw the same thing, four living creatures before the throne. And so he says here, uh, so Ezekiel 1, and we'll go back to verse 5, also out of the midst thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, in other words, the, the body of a man. And everyone had four faces. So four creatures, body of a man, but this time each one has four faces. And everyone had four wings. And their feet were straight feet. And the sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like the color of burnished brass. And they had the hands of a man under their wings on their four sides. And they four had their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another. They turned not when they went. They want everyone straight forward. So you could imagine these four creatures um, standing in a square, facing out. So whether they go north, south, east, or west, they don't have to turn their heads in any way. That just if, I, if they're going north, the north one takes the lead. If they're going south, the south one takes the lead. West, east, same thing. So they just move according to the direction, they're, whichever they're facing, and that one will take the lead. And, and they're all, all their wings are joined together, so they, they're forming a block. As for the likeness of their faces, Ezekiel writes, they four, all four, had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side. And they four had the face of an ox on the left side. And they four also had the face of an eagle. So he sees the same four creatures, uh, or the same, uh, yeah, there's the, the face of a man, face of a lion, face of an ox, face of an eagle. But each one has all four. John sees the same creatures except each in heaven, each one of them, there's a lion, there's a man, there's a, uh, an ox, there's a, uh, an eagle. But here uh, Ezekiel's seeing it, all of them together. 
each one has all four. Thus were their faces and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. So they all have four wings. Two of them are covering their bodies. Two of them are joining with each other. And they went, every one, straight forward. He's really fascinated by this, that when they move, they just move straight forward, because they're all, the, all four faces are facing north, east, west, and south. And then when they move, they don't have to turn. Just whichever one's in the lead takes the lead, and he's really fascinated by this. They went, everyone straight forward, where the spirit was to go, they went. And they turned not when they went. He keeps repeating this, they don't turn. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, and like the appearance of lamps, it went up and down among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. And the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. So they just moved so fast, it's like lightning. Now, as I beheld the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with his four faces. The appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto the color of a barrel. And they four had one likeness, and their appearance and their work was, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. And when they went, they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. And he keeps repeating, he's just fascinated by this fact, that they don't have to turn when they change direction. So that was Ezekiel's vision of the throne room. Uh, there's a prophet called Micaiah who also saw the throne room of God. And here in 1 Kings 22, 1 Kings 22 and verse 9, Micaiah says, and he said, Hear you therefore the word of the Lord. And Micaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. So Ezekiel sees the Lord on his throne. John sees the Lord on his throne. Isaiah saw the Lord on his throne. Here Micaiah sees the Lord on his throne. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. So all these prophets had this privilege, and no doubt Moses as well, of seeing the throne room of God. And God sits on a throne. Back to what John saw, Revelation 4 and verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. So it sounds like they were the wings had eyes within them. And they rest not day, these are the four beasts, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, and is, and is to come. They, you know, this, this, this is not by obligation. They're not like, hey, here's your job. I'm going to create you, and you're just going to stand there and, and bow and just say how holy I am. So this is not by obligation at all. This is by awe. These creatures are awesome themselves, but they are in a relationship with God which overwhelms them. God's loving kindness, his glory, his, 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 his majesty, they are just so overwhelmed by this that they can't help but praise him. And so praise him they do. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him, so they give glory, honor, and thanks to him, they're grateful to him, that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Now, listen to Isaiah's vision of, I'll just interrupt myself here for a quick, we'll come back to this in a second, but listen to Isaiah's vision of the throne room. Isaiah 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. The true God of the universe is a king, and he sits on a throne. And all of the prophets saw this. High and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. So this is what Isaiah see. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So in the same way that what John saw, this relationship that the angels have with God, 
Now, first of all, God sits on a throne. He's a great king. But this relationship, the angels just can't help but glorify him, singing, holy, holy, holy. Which, you know, and that's exactly what Isaiah saw. So back to Revelation 4 and verse 9. When those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord. So the four elders, the, they, they, the four creatures, they are worshiping, and their worship is contagious. It triggers the 24 elders to fall down and worship. So this, this being is just so glorious, they can't help but thank him and glorify him before his throne. And they say, verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. So this is in heaven, this understanding that everything was created for the pleasure of God. And yet we look at the earth, look at the earth today. This is going back to the days of Noah, when it grieved God that he had created man. There's so much violence and wickedness in the earth, the horrible things that are occurring. And yet we, we can see here that everything was created for his pleasure. In fact, in Genesis 1 and verse 1, the, the scripture says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And, and so we know from this that God created everything. From, from Revelation, we know that when he did this, he created it for his pleasure. And yet when we go to verse 2, the earth was without form and void. The, the Hebrew is tohu bohu. Tohu babohu, which means confused and chaotic. And darkness was upon the face of the earth. And then what we see now is God restoring order, removing the darkness, removing the chaos, restoring order and making everything good. So something happened between one and two, and we understand this is the rebellion of Satan that caused this, because God did not create confusion and chaos. But the earth became confused and chaotic. And then God moved to restore order to the earth, but he didn't eliminate the darkness. And he didn't eliminate Satan. He just restored order. And then when everything was ordered, he said it was very good. He never calls the darkness good. Never. You read the passage carefully, the darkness is never called good. But everything else he declares good. And then Adam and Eve choose the way of Satan. And they reintroduce this chaos and darkness back into the earth to the point where it gets so extreme that in Genesis 6, God has to flood the earth and start all over again. And he starts all over again. And then Noah's grandson, just, just this confusion comes back in to creation again to the point where we are now, where Christ says, just before he returns, the confusion and chaos in the earth will be back like in the days of Noah. And yet all of this was created for God's pleasure. And Satan keeps working against God. But ultimately, there will be, and what we're seeing in Revelation, is the order in heaven. There will be the same order on earth. In fact, in Luke 11 and verse 2, Christ told his disciples, and us by extension, he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which is in which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. So the order and glory that we're seeing in heaven, and God's will in heaven, and the peace in heaven, this ultimately is coming to earth. When the kingdom of God comes to earth, it's bringing the order that we see in heaven. It's bringing that, it's going to impose that order on earth. In fact, you know, the, the Revelation or Genesis opens within the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then in Revelation 21, so from Genesis to Revelation, it comes full circle. In Revelation 21 and verse 1, John, John writes, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Today, when scientists study the universe, they estimate that the observable universe, so the part of the universe that light can actually reach us, they estimate it is 93 billion light years in diameter. 93 billion light years in diameter. Light is the fastest thing that we know. There's nothing that we know that travels faster than light. It's, it's almost instant. And light in a year, in, pardon me, I'm going to speak in kilometers. In a year, it travels 9.5 trillion kilometers. I, I don't even know what that number means. In one year, light can travel 9.5 trillion kilometers. In miles, that's 5.9 trillion miles. So light can travel 9.5 trillion kilometers in a year. And that's how they measure the universe. How long does it take light to reach a certain distance? Or any, anything in the universe, is just, it's uh, measured by light years. So 9.5 trillion kilometers in, in a year, that's how fast light travels. The, the, the observable universe is 93 billion light years. So 93 billion times 9.5 trillion. And that gives us the distance that, that the scientists are able to observe of the universe. And what they say is, they have no idea how big the rest of the universe is. It's unobservable. The, the, light, the light will never reach us. So it, it's impossible to observe. That's how big this universe is. And when they look at planet Earth, it makes no sense to them. This is the only place where they see life. And it's just a speck of nothing in the, in the middle of a very insignificant galaxy, the Milky Way. They don't understand. But John understands, and Moses understood, that in the beginning, God created this entire universe, which is expanding. That's the other thing that blows scientists away. That instead of the universe at some point contracting because of the Big Bang, they thought you know, there'd be this Big Bang, it would go out as far as it could, and then the gravitational pull would start to pull everything back. That's not what's happening. He said, instead of it now contracting, it, it continues to expand, and the expansion is accelerating. So the universe just keeps getting bigger and bigger. They don't understand it, and they don't understand why they can only find life on Earth. And that Earth is not even in the center of the universe. It's just this speck in the middle of an insignificant galaxy, which is in the middle of an insignificant cluster of galaxies. They don't understand. But Moses understood that there's something central about the Earth. And John sees that ultimately the whole universe is going to be reconfigured. And God himself is going to move his throne to the earth. And he's going to dwell with man on the earth. And the heaven and the earth will be one, just the way it was back in Genesis. In Genesis 1, when God restores all of this order, and, and in six days he restores all of this order, and then on the seventh day, everything is in unity. The heavens and the earth are in unity. And now he can fellowship with man, having everything come together in unity. And man is the one who broke that unity. And so we must now pray for that unity to come back. Your will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 5 And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, or a scroll, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. So this is double-sided. The scroll is not just written on you. Know, Normally you would write on the scroll, roll it up, and the contents would be on the inside. This scroll has so much information, it's so dense, it's so packed with information, that it is written on the inside and the outside. And it's sealed with seven seals. And, and the way these seven seals are structured is you don't have to open all seven seals to open the scroll at all that you open one seal, and that opens a certain amount of the, of the scroll. 
and then you encounter the second seal. You open that seal, and that reveals the next part of the scroll until you hit the third seal, and so on, until all seven seals are broken. And at verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the scroll, neither to look thereon. So there's no, and it says no man, actually, the Greek is no one. So no one in heaven. So of all those beings in heaven, the four creatures, the 24 elders, the whole host of angels, there's no one in heaven that is worthy to open this scroll. So then they look on the earth, and there is nobody on earth that is worthy and able to open the scroll. So then maybe somebody has died in the past, and we can resurrect that person, and maybe they would be worthy. So now we look under the earth, in the graves, and there is nobody. There is nobody in heaven, there is nobody in the earth, and there is nobody under the earth that was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. It begs the question, what about Jesus Christ? Why did they not simply hand the scroll to Jesus Christ? Isn't he Obviously he's worthy, so no one else is worthy. So the Father has this scroll packed with information, and really, it's not just that it's packed with information, it's packed with his will. It is what he is going to do to bring order to the earth and to bring glory to the earth and to bring his glory to the earth. So if this scroll is not unlocked, God's will cannot be done. What about Jesus? Well, I think the answer is that they're looking in heaven. He's not there. They're looking in the earth and he's not there. And they're looking in the graves, and he's not there either. So at this point in time, he is somewhere between heaven and earth. He, is on, he has left earth, and he is on his way to heaven. And so he's not in heaven yet. He's left the earth, and he certainly left the grave. So in John 20 and verse 17, Jesus said unto Mary, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. So he was about to ascend here in John 20, verse 17. He was still on the earth. But once he ascended, in, in Acts 1 and verse 9 it says, And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So at some point he left the earth and was on his way to the throne room. And it was at that precise moment that John is in front of the throne room and there's nobody worthy in heaven because he's not there yet. And there's nobody worthy in the earth or, or under the earth because he's left the grave and he's left the earth. And so John in verse 4, Revelation 5 verse 4, he wept much. He understood that what is in those scrolls is the destiny of mankind. And if those, if, sorry, that, that scroll, by the sealed by the seals. If those seals are not released and opened, and God's will is not revealed and executed, then there's no hope for mankind. And so John wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open and to read the book, the scroll. Neither not even to look upon it. Nobody like this is so intimate with God and and whoever sees it has to carry it out and there there's require there's a requirement of holiness to be able to execute what's in this scroll and John is grieved that it's locked up and nobody can unveil it we know from Daniel that there will be victory on the earth God's victory will prevail. God's will will prevail. In Daniel 2 and verse 44, 
Daniel is revealing to the King Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. And this dream, he's unpacking this dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, received. And he says, and in the days of these kings, the final kings, the final ten kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. So somebody is worthy to, to unseal the scroll and to carry out his will. Because in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and destroy all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So somebody is worthy to open the scroll and to carry out the contents, the instructions therein. Back to Revelation 5 and verse 5. So now Christ arrives in heaven. And one of, the, one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book. So he prevailed. He, his mission was successful. He was sent to the earth, and he prevailed. And having prevailed, he now returns to heaven. And now he's arrived. And the elder says, Don't cry. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and that's very important that he comes from David and he comes from the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals thereof. In Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 1, he prophesied that there shall come forth a rod, a ruler, really, that's what the rod symbolizes, out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse was the father of David. So this rod is going to be a son of David. Moses, in Genesis 49 and verse 9, he writes, Judah is a lion's wealth. This is the, the prophetic word that, that um, Israel gave at the end of his life. Genesis 49 and, and verse 9. Judah is a lion's wealth. From the prey, my son, you are gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Do we hear that? This is the prophetic word in, in the Torah, written by Israel, that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. No one can come along and say, God is done with the Jews. Uh, he's now working with the Arabs. Uh, the, 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 the kingdom will be with the Arabs or anybody else. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. So there's no other lawgiver except through Judah until Shiloh come. Shiloh is Christ. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So Christ will gather all the people. And there are numerous prophecies that show, beginning in Deuteronomy 30, that show that God will gather all his people to Christ. Back to Revelation 5. Verse 6. And I beheld, so, so the elder says to him, don't cry, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And I beheld, so I looked, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. So he, his mission was accomplished. He went to the earth, was slain as a lamb, and now he's in front of the throne. So I looked and I there stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. So Christ does not have seven horns. And Jesus Christ does not have seven eyes. We are made in his image and likeness. But again, this is, this is a book of, of symbols. Everything is being signified so that John has to unpack the symbols to understand what, what the meaning is. So it had seven horns and seven eyes, and it tells us what the seven eyes are, which are the seven spirits of God. We saw these earlier. These are seven angels sent forth into all the earth. So God gets a report back from these seven angels as they go throughout the earth. They're his eyes, and they come back and they report what they are seeing in the earth. So they are referred to as the seven eyes of the Lamb. In so he, he stands before the throne 
as a lamb as it had been slain. In Revelation 13 and verse 8, we see that this lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. And all that dwell, chapter, chapter 13, verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. That's the beast, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So when Christ created the earth, there was an understanding that he would have to be slain to redeem his people. And so from the very creation of the foundation of the earth, that provision was made that the lamb would have to be slain. Now, because of that slaughter of the innocent lamb and his willingness to carry out the mission, in Philippians 2 and verse 8 we read, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And we know that every knee shall bow to Jesus Christ. God has exalted him. He is, God, he is glorified in Christ. Back to Revelation 5. So this lamb, he was successful. He went on this mission. He was slain for his people. He now returns to the throne. And we read now verse 7. And he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. He was worthy to take it. He, he's worthy to open it. He's worthy to carry out its contents. As this sinless lamb, one must be sinless to carry this out. And when he had taken the scroll, the four beasts, read this carefully with me. This is Revelation 5 and verse 8. Let's read it carefully because there are some out there who reject Jesus Christ as their Lord. They reject that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is their creator. Scripture is very, very clear about this. Revelation 5 and verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four beasts, that's the living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. These four creatures that are before the throne of God and the 24 elders that are before the throne of God who are worshiping God and saying, Holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty? These 28 beings fell down before the Lamb. You know, you don't do this. When John fell down before the angel, the angel said, Don't do that. Get up. I'm an angel. Worship God. But here... These 28 beings that worship God, they fall down before the Lamb. Having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. This is worship. They are falling down and worshiping the Lamb. In John 5, verse 23, Christ said when he was on earth, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. So, so he's saying, I'm worthy of the same level of honor that you would give to the Father. He that honors not the Son, honors not the Father which has sent him. The, the two are one. And, and God expects us to honor and glorify his Son. Back to Revelation 5, verse 10. And he says, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and notice this, and we shall reign on the earth. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we're going to be reigning in heaven. We're going to be living in heaven forever and ever. You might see language that talks about the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. It's God bringing the, the, his will in heaven to earth. But always when the Bible speaks of the kingdom, the location of that kingdom is on earth. And his people that are successful with him will reign on the earth. So we will be kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now that means we're going to replace those kings that are on the earth today. 
And in Revelation 17, we'll get to this down the road, but we'll just quickly take a preview here. Revelation 17 and verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. This is the final hour now. These are the kings that Nebuchadnezzar saw, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These kings have to be replaced. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Yes, he's King of kings. There are going to be many kings that are going to be in alignment with God's will and are going to reign with God on the earth and replace all of these false kingdoms. Now that's the same vision that Nebuchadnezzar was given in Daniel 2. Back to chapter 5, Revelation 5 and verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them. So remember when uh, Micaiah saw this vision of the throne and he said there were there were um, hosts of angels on the left and the right side. Now we're seeing the rest of the throne room, what Micaiah saw. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. John is saying like there was just this innumerable number of this angelic host around the throne. And they said, saying with a loud voice, listen to what the angels are saying, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And they're all saying this in unison. And, and they're saying it with a loud voice. They can't hold back. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Worthy is the lamb. Nobody was found worthy to open the scroll, but the lamb was found worthy. Worthy is, and, and inside the scroll uh, is God's will. And that's why is, somebody has to be worthy to open this, to, re, to re, receive what's in it, and be able to execute what's in it. And so all these 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands of angels with a loud voice saying, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sits upon the throne. That's God. Every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them. John says, I heard everything worshiping God. How were they worshiping God? They said this, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sits upon the throne. That's God. But they didn't stop there. Look what else. Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sits upon the throne. And, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. I don't know how anybody can read the Bible and say that Jesus Christ is not God. When look how everything, every creature, everything that's ever created acknowledges the Father and the glory of the Father. And whatever praise they bestow upon the Father, they bestow it upon the Lamb forever and ever as well. Think about that. And the four beasts said, Amen. They didn't say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, the guy's going too far. You know, let's reserve a certain amount of praise for the Father and then, like, tone it down when we're praising the Lamb. The four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. Amen. So this is uh, Revelation chapters 4 and 5.
And so what we've seen here is that the, the preparation for what's coming. Beginning next week, we're going to be going to Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to start to see the seven seals released. That now that the Lamb is worthy, has been identified as worthy, to unlock these seals. And this scroll is written on the front and the back. It's full of information. It's full of God's will. But there's only one person, one being, that is worthy to carry this out. And he has now taken the scroll, and he's received it, and everybody's in awe, and now he's going to begin opening these seals. And God willing, we will cover this next week when we open chapter 6. Let's listen to uh, Dr. Avenel, O people of the earth. I'll be right back. Europe, Asia, Africa. People of the earth, children of the universe, why can't you be faithful and true? All that is done for you, all that is brought you through. Yet you've gone your own way, and you chose not to pray. Stop, be still, hear him and pray. He is your maker, he is your God. Be still, be still, 
You may want to go on and read ahead. Uh, chapter six, verse one says, "And I and when I and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, that's the first seal, and I heard." So he he sees and he hears, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, "Come and see." And so, God willing, next week we'll be back together and we'll see what John saw when Christ opened the first seal. Have a great day. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord. Thanks for joining us today. This is Adrian Davis signing off from Line Upon Line on Life 101. To find out more about our ministry and the Church of God International, please visit our website at cgi.org. That's the Church of God International, and our website is cgi.org. God bless.